for years because we think it's so important to spend some time with dads and their sons talking about being spiritual young men, and great spiritual fruit can come from that. So I appreciate the opportunity and the support that this church has given for me to be able to continue to participate in that. And then last week, uh, we were gone up to Yellowstone Bible Camp Family Camp, and that is uh, something that I have never done before. Our family has not. And we've worked at teen camp for years, and we participate in work camps. I'm on the board of directors for Yellowstone Bible Camp, but I've never gone to a week of family camp where we just went as a family. Last fall, our kids said that that's something they really wanted to do. So we made it happen this year, and I joked with people. I, I told the director beforehand, I said, hey, I'm coming, and I'm planning on taking a lot of naps and riding my bike and hikes, and I just want to listen to God's Word this time around. And that's my plan, and I'm not even going to bring my Bible. You know, I, I, I'd said that to him. I was just joking around, but... Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, Dan Frazier, some of you know him. He preached in Butte, and then he preached in Sydney for a lot of years. Uh, he's been in Lincoln, Nebraska for 25 years, somewhere in that ballpark now. But he was the speaker. And so I'll, I'll share some of what we did, because what I decided is I was going to share some highlights of what we talked about during last week for you this morning, so you could experience some of it. Before I do that, I want to share with you that in Scripture, in the Old Testament, The Pentecost celebration was a time that God ordained at the end of the harvest when everything was brought in to to really enjoy life and to they would they build these shelters and they would um, hang out for about a week and just really enjoying the favor of God. And if you don't have something in your life that helps fill that void where you can get away in a spiritual retreat that can really be good for your soul, uh, I would really encourage you to make that a priority. There are people at Yellowstone Bible Camp just less than an hour down the road here. There's people that fly in from all over the world and fill up four different family camps that happen because they can come, and it's actually cheap. Okay, You can get a, a week vacation in a cabin in Montana, hear the words of God, be surrounded by godly people, and have your spiritual cup filled in a context that is not your local church, and it's a huge blessing. I know Richard uh, organizes one of the family camps. Family Camp 3, is that the one you organize? And so we have, uh, I, just, I would just encourage you, just because it's a mile down, or an hour down the road, uh, we've got one of the uh, great gem that is there, and I'd encourage you to next year um, make a plan in the fall to participate in, in one of those weeks. Uh, it'd be, it's great for families. Anyway, there's my pitch. It was a great blessing for us. One of the things we did uh, during the week is, I, this material I wasn't familiar with, but um, an author uh, named Warner Wallace. How many of you know who he is? Is there any? Okay, a few of you know who he is. Yeah. So I, I've not spent time with his material, but he is a, a, an officer, a police officer that, that specializes in cold cases. So things that have gone cold 30 years ago, and he goes back and he starts digging to see if there can be any resolution for uh, whatever whatever crime happened. And he's been featured on TV. He's been on on these these shows that talk about cold cases and such like that. But he decided years ago, he's an atheist, and decided to apply the same methods he uses cracking cold cases to approach Scripture to see if there was really a God there. And what he did is he convinced himself of how true Scripture was and that there definitely was a God there. 
And so he talks through some of how he does that, and he gives tools about how to approach the Bible so that we can understand it. And it's, it's, he took some angles that I've not been aware of before that I really appreciated. So that's a resource there. It's on your handout. You can look it up. You can Google. He's got a website, and you can go wild, um, just uh, going deep with some of his material, and I appreciated it a lot. Something else we did in the mornings, we spent time with the book of Habakkuk. And if you remember, if you participated in the Wednesday night Bible classes, we went through the minor prophets this last, last winter. Uh, and Habakkuk, we spent a day on that. And I'll tell you what happened during the week. There was, um, Dan Frazier was teaching and I, I was just appreciating what he had to share and it was a great time. And about, uh, was it, it would have been Thursday afternoon, um, his wife, started getting some symptoms and tested positive for COVID. And so they left. And I thought, okay, here we go. And I love to teach. And I just approached the, the, the director and said, all right, if you need someone to pinch hit with Habakkuk tomorrow morning, I taught it about four months ago, and if you need somebody to do that, then I will do it. And his eyes lit up and he said, would you please? I said, I'm glad to help out. So I had to drive back to town and get my Bible. No, I'm kidding. I I had it there. But it was um, Habakkuk's great. And so what I'm going to share is some of Habakkuk today. Habakkuk is one of those books that we can blow over in the Old Testament very easily, but he answers, asks, and answers some questions that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And I'm not going to go into some of the deep historical parts of it, but what I want us to, to do is, is see some of the highlights of what Habakkuk is talking about. So if you go to chapter 1, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. And what we see is Habakkuk asks a question. He lives in a time that is not like some of those golden ages that we look back, like when David was king and there's spiritual renewals, or when Samuel was part of a great spiritual renewal. Sometimes it happened during the judges, it happened during the time of Joshua. And you see these amazing spiritual renewals where people lay down, put away their idols, and they, say, they say, I'm going to worship God, and this is what we need to be doing, and this is important. And there's some genuine spiritual renewal. Nehemiah and Ezra, during that time, there's spiritual renewal. Habakkuk lived in a time where that spiritual renewal was not happening. There were times that were dark, and you're going to see in the first few verses the question that he asked, and maybe it's a question that we ask. So go ahead and look at Habakkuk. I'll start reading in verse 2. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out, Violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now look at that for just a second. Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, God, I look around and I see all this evil around me. There's all sorts of injustice, and you just seem to allow it to happen. Are you going to step in at some point in time? Are you going to do something about all this evil that is here? It, it makes me sick. It's, it's evil to the point that the law is powerless, because people find their way around the law. The law was given to us, us Israelites, in order to teach us how to honor you, to do away with injustice and all of that. But people have found their way around all of that so that injustice prevails. And just looking out in our world just makes me sick. Can you relate to that? 
I think if we, and what we did uh, when I was teaching up at camp, uh, we had the whiteboard there, and I asked, what are some of the bad things that you say see happening in our world right now that just make you sick? And there was all sorts of things like injustice. There's some that are extremely, extremely rich, and there's some that are that are that are poor and can't seem to get find their way out of it. We look, and that makes us sick. Or we we see that some people are privileged in our legal system, and it seems like no matter what they do, they never are punished. We look at some of the immorality that happens in our world, and we look around and say, God, how long? We see the rampant uh, breaking up of families in our world. We see. We see abortion. We see you know any number of things. Ten dollar ten dollar gallon gas was one of those things that came up there. Uh, all these things that we look around and we think, you know, this is this is tough. All these are symptoms of something that is that is wrong in our society, um, and and it's hurtful for us. And we look around and we say, God, why do you let this happen? Why do you let kidnappings happen? Why do you let all this stuff happen? How many of you ask those questions at times? God, why don't you just step in? Child abuse, all of that. Why don't you just step in? How do you let that happen? One of the quotes that was brought up, and I wasn't familiar with this quote but um, when Dan was teaching, but he brought up the quote by C.S. Lewis that said, uh, the problem of pain, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but evil in the world is, the great, is atheist's greatest uh, defense against Christianity because it's hard to explain some of that stuff. Um, when you think about someone who is who is abused from a child on up, how do you how do you stand there and say God, God? Well, this was God's will for this to happen. No, that doesn't sit well with us. It it messes with our hearts, and and it's it's tough. And we want God just to step in, just like His excuse me, just like Habakkuk did in his day, saying, God, just please step in. This is terrible. This is awful. And God answered him. And this is what God says. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Verse 5, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. And he goes on and he talks about how evil these Babylonians are. Look at verse 11. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on guilty people whose own strength is their God. You see what Habakkuk is told by God? God affirms, yes, there is evil that is happening here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the Babylonians in and they're going to sweep across your land and they are going to stamp out and destroy this evil. And there was, I think... I think maybe you, Dusty, you say on when we were teaching, said maybe that stuff that I talked about didn't seem that evil before. You know, we're good. We're okay with that if the Babylonians don't come. Yeah, we'll take care of it. It's all good. Just don't do that, right? Do you see what God has told him? I'm going to send this army in that doesn't follow me at all, not at all, and they're going to destroy this evil among you. Man, you can sense. How many of you would backpedal about this point in time? I think I would say, well, okay, wait, wait a minute. I think we're good. I think we're okay. Because what if God comes, you're, you're talking with God, and God responds, and you say, God, our nation is full of evil. There's all these things that we listed are happening. There's all of this, and it's just making me sick. When are you going to step in? When are you going to do something? And God says, 
There's going to be a great army, a great terror from the north wearing red that is going to sweep around and it's going to come and take... No, the Canadians wouldn't do that to us, right? Yeah. The Canadians, if they invaded, they would say, sorry, sorry, I've got some Canadian friends here today. That's why I bring that up. But what if, what if God answered us and said, yes, you're right. There is much, much evil in your world. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to sweep through your nation with a great Chinese army, or I'm going to send Muslim armies on your land, and they're going to destroy your fields, and they're going to come, and they're going to stamp out this evil. I think our response would be, wait a minute here, they don't even believe in God. They're not even, they're not even on the same page. How are you going to use someone that is worse than us to destroy the evil among us? In fact, that's exactly where Habakkuk goes next. Look at these verses. In Habakkuk uh, chapter, chapter 1, I'll start reading in verse 12, he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, will you, you will never die. You know, you're, you're eternal. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. I'm getting some real mixed signals from you here, God, because you're my rock, but then you're going to punish in this way. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? In other words, the Babylonians are worse than us. At least we kind of pretend to worship God sometimes, and they don't even do that. And you're going to send them to teach us a lesson? How can you do that, God? How does that work? That doesn't make sense to me. Okay? We're going to ask an honest question right here. How many of you can relate to what Habakkuk is wrestling with right here? And if God revealed to you that there was going to be a great army, a very ungodly army that swept in across our nation, that you would really wrestle with God's answer there? I would. Yeah, I'd be frustrated by that. But that's exactly what God is saying here. I'm going to use someone that is more evil to stamp out the evil from among you. And look at what uh, Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he gives the image of someone who is up on a watchtower that is watching for the enemy to come and the intensity that a person looks. And just imagine... You ever had someone that um, you ask them, they say something, and you're like, you look at them like, are you kidding me? And you just fix your glaze on them like, you're going to change your mind here. You're going to say something different, aren't you? You're gonna change, what you just said is not possible. And Habakkuk is saying that. I'm going to fix my glaze here. Like I, like graze, glaze, gaze, gaze. Had all those words made. I didn't have my donut this morning. I started thinking about glazed donuts. What arms am I doing here? Anyway, fix your gaze. I'm going to watch you, God, until I know, I know you're going to change your mind here. This, this is not surely what's going to happen. And God's response to this is, and look at verse chapter 2, starting in verse 2. He says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And that's why we have it here, because this is written down so we could learn from it as well. For the revelation awaits on appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. 
So this is coming. I have made my mind up firmly that this is how I'm going to deal with the evil in your own society. Verse 4, he says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the people. And Habakkuk goes on to record God's answer over and over and over. He says, yes, these people are evil. And there's two big things that come up here. First of all, is that evil in itself is self-destructive. And so just watch. Because the Babylonians and all this oppression, all this evil that they're going to bring, it's going to come back and it's going to bite them because that's what happens. When we dish out wrong, we dish out evil, and that's what we do, then sooner or later it comes back around and it bites us. So just, it's going to take its course. Evil is going to take its course here. Second, I'm watching all of this, and I'm going to see exactly what they're going to do, and I'm going to punish everything that they do. I'm still God, and I still punish evil even though I'm using them to accomplish some good and stamp out the evil among you. They are going to get what's coming to them, okay? But in the middle of all this, you see this phrase, but the righteous person will live by faith, will live by their faithfulness. This passage is quoted three times in the New Testament. And my tendency, our tendency, is to look at those passages that are quoted there and say, oh yeah, that's good, righteous will live by faith, and then move on. But if we dig a little deeper and we see what Habakkuk is doing here, what his message is, and we understand that in the light of what Paul quotes in um, the times he quotes Habakkuk, it gives us a deeper understanding of what is being spoken of in these passages. Okay, let's look at one. Look, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Now this is a famous passage, and it's beautiful. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he has just got through saying, I long to come and visit you in Rome, love to come and share the message of God with you. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he quotes Habakkuk. Now, our tendency is to look at that passage and say, oh, that gives me warm fuzzies. That's great. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. I'm going to wear it around. That's wonderful, right? And that's not wrong, but there's something deeper here. Because if you continue to follow what Paul is saying in the first chapters of Romans after this, he says, look at all the evil that is involved in the Gentiles. If you read Romans chapter 1, what it looks like is the front page of what would have been in the Roman newspaper. Terribly evil stuff that is happening there. And then he switches gears and says, but you Jews, you've got your problems too. And he brings it all together in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is something, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whatever your situation is, both of you have this. All of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's your common ground. Now you think about him quoting Habakkuk here at this point in time. He's writing to Christians who are getting it from both sides. The Jews are upset with them. The Gentiles are upset with them. And they can relate with Habakkuk. They're living in a time that there's many around them are not experiencing this spiritual renewal, even though they are. And their job is to be faithful and live by faith, even though it seems like the world is falling down around them. 
That gives some muscle to what Paul is saying here. Let's fast forward to Galatians chapter 3. Do you remember how Galatians starts? Most of Paul's letters talk about, hey, it's great to talk. I I miss you. I love you guys. Uh, You're in my prayers continually. Galatians chapter 1 verse Verse uh, 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He starts off, bam, there it is. Because there's people that have come and said, if you don't follow the regulations of the old law, if you don't follow those, you're out. I said, well, Paul didn't tell us that. Well, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You need to do this. Well, well no, tough place to be. Look at what he says. In chapter 3, verse 11, I'll start reading verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one relies on the law and is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. So you have people telling you all sorts of different stuff. It's not unlike Habakkuk, the people of Habakkuk's time where justice was thrown to the ground and the law was worthless, it seemed like. But your job is just to continue to walk by faith. Keep doing it. Keep being courageous. You may not live in a great time of spiritual revival or renewal, but you just continue to be courageous and live by faith. Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, Habakkuk is quoted... Uh, we're right before the great chapter of faith, and we'll get to that here in a second. But the Hebrew writer has said this, he's given them this great call to persevere. You just keep staying the course no matter what. And life is, you know, Christian. the newness of Christianity has worn off, and some of them have gone back, it appears, to the synagogue, who the synagogues have added a verse at that point in time. If anyone is a follower of Jesus Christ, let him be eternally cursed. And they couldn't sing that, they couldn't repeat that. And so they're in a place where they're like, I want to go back to my friends and family that are at the synagogue, but I can't. I feel like I am being put in a spot where I have to make a decision to follow Christ or not. And maybe I can go back to the synagogue and I can just not tell people that I'm a Christian. You know, that type of struggle. And the Hebrew writer says, don't give up meeting, the habit of meeting, as some are doing, but continue to stay the course. And in, in all of that, he says in verse 36, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And But my righteous one will live by faith. Do you see him quote Habakkuk there again? And then he goes in and he talks about one after the other of people who lived by faith when the world around them was saying, forget you, I'm out. These situations, what Paul is doing, he's quoting Habakkuk to say, Your situation right now, whether it be legalistic righteousness of the people around you, whether it may be society, whether it may be family, you are experiencing this pressure to bail. But remember what Habakkuk was told by by God is that this evil is going to be punished, it's going to be taken care of. You let me be God. But your job right now, your job is to live by faith in the middle of all of it. Do you see that? Do you see how powerful that is? We're called to live by faith in the middle of what, no matter what anybody else is doing. Habakkuk, we see in chapter 3, and going back to Habakkuk, 
he responds, kind of like Job does. And Job's question is different. Job is, hey, I was doing good, and then I got punished for it. This isn't fair. And God says, you let me be God. And Job says, all right, fine, I'll let you be God. And in some ways, Habakkuk's question is even more difficult in that, wait a minute, you know, we've got our sin, we've got our stuff, but how are you going to use something worse in order to teach us a lesson there? And this is coming. This is tough. Look in um, chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, or in verse 2, I'll go into verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk, what he does here is he says, okay, I know that, God, your mind is firmly made up that this is how you're going to punish us. This is how you're going to root out the evil from among us. But I've heard of all the great things that you've done before. Habakkuk would have known about the Exodus. He would have known about that very well. He would have known about the time when Hezekiah and, and the army in Jerusalem was surrounded by the armies of Assyria and they prayed and those armies were gone. God stepped in. God has stepped in for his people over and over and over and over again in the past. And Habakkuk is saying, I've heard of all these things. I've heard of all this great, amazing things that you've done before. Please, we want to see this in our day. Repeat them in our day, are his words. Let's see you work in a powerful way without the Babylonians in order to bring renewal and to get rid of this injustice that is so prevalent among us. I think about that sometimes. Um, there's a, at camp, uh, there was a, a bound copy of the Gospel Advocate from the 1940s, a journal that was published in Tennessee and sent out all over the place. And there were some notes in there, and as I was sitting by the fire reading it, what I saw is gospel meeting happened in such and such a place, and there were six baptisms. Gospel meeting happened here, there, and there were nine baptisms. There were three baptisms. All these gospel meetings where people would show up at out in the boonies there, and these weren't big cities. It wasn't Nashville. It was like, like Podunk Creek, Tennessee. And someone shows up there and says, hey, we're going to have a gospel meeting, and people showed up, and people came. And people heard the message of God, and they committed their lives to Christ, and churches were established. And I think, man, I would love to live in times where it seemed that easy, you know? Man, has our world changed so much? It seems like it has. Our world's different. It's just this cycle that we go through. We live in a different time now. Um, I know that I've shared with you, when I lived in Great Falls, after the 9-11 happened, military community. There were people that were shipping out to Iraq and Afghanistan for the years after that. And we had Bible studies on base where there were people becoming Christians right and left. Our attendance went from 190 to almost to just below 290 in a matter of a couple of years. And we thought, man, we're doing something great here. You know, this is amazing. We, we learned that it was more God doing stuff, that there was a spiritual revival and renewal happening that we didn't realize until we got past it. And there's going to be spiritual renewals that come and revivals that happen in our world. And even if we're not sensing it right now, and if, if we're in those times, that we think, man, it just seems like our world around us is falling apart and we can scream out to God that all this injustice, why don't you step in and do something? Habakkuk reminds us, just continue to be faithful. That's what I ask of you. 
Skip down to verses, uh, verses 16, chapter 3. And I think this is one of the most difficult passages to read in Scripture because you can sense the anguish that Habakkuk is feeling. He said, I heard, remember he said, I heard of all your good deeds, all that, please do those in our day. And he says again, I've heard. Remember God had said, I firmly make it up my mind that this is what I'm going to do. I heard you, God, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, I know this nation is going to invade us, but I know their time is coming. It seems terribly unjust to me, but I know that God ultimately will judge everything that they do and everything that happens. I get the sense that how many of you, I asked this question, how many of you have been to the principal's office at some point in time? Yeah, some of you are lying. I know most of you have been to the principal's office, right? I asked that question at camp, and my son raised his hand, and I thought, I need to talk with him afterwards. I'm not sure I know this story. All three names. Habakkuk's. Here I am. Here it comes. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pan and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, I am going to be faithful. I'm going to rejoice in God my Savior. We put a list on the board of, okay, in our world right now, what's the worst things that can happen? And there were... Meteor hits the middle of the church building while we're in worship and kills all of us. I mean, there was all sorts of creativity of the bad stuff that could happen. Armies could sweep our land. There could be World War III. There could be a pandemic that shuts down society. Oh, wait a minute. We did that, right? And we survived it, right? All of these things that we came up with on the board, and some of them were $10 gasoline, you know, $10 gallon gasoline. Some of them were, were more serious that my family is torn away from me or my family dies in a car wreck or you know all these these things that can be really devastating what's the worst thing that can happen to us there's lots of them and habakkuk answers those questions at least to help us understand all of these terrible things that can happen there can be verse 17 again Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. In other words, no matter what happens, no matter how bad this gets, what I'm going to do very simply, as God has told me, says the righteous person will live by faith. I'm going to get up every morning, and I'm just going to be faithful. That's what I'm going to do. There's a, Dan Frazier gave this, and I really appreciated the, these lyrics here. He gave this, um, these lyrics, he showed them to us from John Newton, a song that, uh, that he had written. How many of you know who John Newton is? He's famous for writing a song that we sing a lot, which is... Amazing Grace. This is the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He was, he's got that amazing story that he was a slave trader and God got a hold of his heart and he became an abolitionist and helped eliminate the slave trade. And he wrote Amazing Grace. You know, amazing song that we like. We like this song a little bit less. And you'll see why. Because he sings the message of Habakkuk. 
And I don't know how it goes, so I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm just going to read the lyrics here. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Now, that's good things to pray for, right? Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answered my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. So I prayed to God to grow and all of a sudden I just get all of this hitting me right and left. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembled, cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mightst find thy all in me. Habakkuk tells us, when we look around and we see injustice, when we see terrible stuff around us, says the righteous person will live by faith. I pray that we can learn from Habakkuk, that each one of us can make that decision, that I will be one no matter what's going around me that will live by faith. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers at the church, head to the back. Elders are back there to talk with you. Let's stand and sing together. We're going to sing this song and also... Uh, uh, Sing the song is in preparation of our minds for the Lord's Supper today, so after this song you can be seated. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For though the loving Son, the Father makes us one, come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. No one is a stranger here, everyone belongs, finding our forgiveness here, we in turn forgive all wrongs, He joins us here, He breaks the bread. The Lord who pours the cup is risen from the dead. The one we love the most is now our gracious host. Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. We are now a family of which the Lord is head. Though unseen, He meets us here in the breaking 
bread will gather soon where angels sing we'll see the glory of our lord and coming king and now we anticipate the feast for which we wait Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. Please be seated. I just want to quickly say that how much I appreciate Chris and his lessons. Um, the reminder from God to just live by faith is so powerful. And I hope that uh, you'll be further encouraged by reflecting on that lesson, um, as well as a few thoughts that I'll share here as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. The entire purpose of the Lord's Supper, I think that we all know, is obviously to remember Christ. Christ says this explicitly at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. As we think about remembering Christ, sometimes I wonder myself, you know, of...